Well, good morning, Solace Church. Thank you so much for being here. It's Labor Day weekend, and you chose to be at church today. Man, that is awesome. Good decision. Let's, let's learn today about what we face as a church, as a culture. I think that there are, there are a couple of things that you need to understand about the area in which we live, in which we have this ministry, Solace Church. We are in West Tulsa County. And West Tulsa County has a stigma attached to it. It's really kind of the armpit of Tulsa. Now, I, I don't know where that came from, but, you know, we, we live in an area where, you know, Berry Hill, Oakhurst, Sand Springs, Sepulpa, West Tulsa, it has, it has a stigma attached to it. And I think that for some reason that there are some in this area who've really embraced part of that stigma as a part of their identity. And I have a huge desire to be a part of the solution of leading, leading people out of that mentality into a whole different freedom that they can find in a relationship with Christ. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just mention one of the, the mentalities that exist, and then I want to unpack in some detail another mentality that we're up against um, in this area. And, and by the way, it's probably a, a, a nationwide, maybe even a worldwide problem. One of those that I'm going to unpack later that we're up against in terms of mentality is a poverty mentality. You're going to see over the next couple of weeks just how poor some of the areas are in this, in this community, in, this, in these zip codes that surround this church. You're going to see what it looks like uh, demographically in this area. And, and I think for some reason that there is, there is this sense that, well, we are in this area, it's a part of a poor area, and so that's just who we are. And so we're going to combat that head on as we move forward. But the one I want to focus on for the next couple of minutes is very prevalent. I have to be honest with you. I've embraced this mentality along the way in my own life as well. But sometimes it becomes so ingrained in a person's identity that they operate out of it. It's called the victim's mentality. The victim's mentality. Um, the victim's mentality basically is... The world has been X to me, therefore I'm going to do X. These are my circumstances, therefore I am, going, I am the victim, therefore I'm going to act in such a way. Uh, this, this, the world made me do it, or that person made me do it, or that circumstance made me do it scenario is not new. If you look in the very beginning, the very first human couple recorded in Scripture, Adam and Eve, we see it front and center. Do you remember the story in Genesis 3? God says, don't eat of that fruit of that tree. And Adam and Eve both eat from the fruit of that tree. And they are hiding from God. And God comes and walks among them and asks them, where are you? And they say, we were scared and so we were hiding. And we were naked and so we were hiding. And God said, well, who told you you were naked? And, 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 and then God asks a question. Adam. Did you eat of the fruit of that tree that I told you that you weren't supposed to eat of? And Adam does what any good, solid Christian male leader in his home does. He said, my wife made me do it. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that the very first reaction to Adam coming face to face with his sinfulness and brokenness is to find someone else to blame. 
Eve is now asked a question. Eve, did you eat of this fruit? Did, what happened? And Eve, being the godly woman Christian that she is and was, did exactly what Adam did. The snake made me do it. And from that point in history forward, every single person at some point in their life tries to find someone else to blame for their own sinfulness and their own brokenness. We all do it at some level or another. Everyone is guilty of trying to, trying to find a way to not come to terms with their own brokenness and own sinfulness. And we do it in, 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 in different levels, in different proportions. Some of us do it in one specific instance, but some people live with this identity. Now, for the next couple of minutes, I want to unpack for you what this identity looks like. Um, If you're writing things down, I I want you to write down this question. What are the claims of the victim? When someone says, I'm a victim... What are they actually trying to say? Now, before we answer this question, I need to just say one thing before we go forward. As I unpack this today, there's a possibility that you may think that I'm insensitive to circumstances that some find themselves in. I don't in any way want to minimize the significant difficulties that, that many of us travel or many of us are faced with along the way. The truth is, life is hard at some point. Sometimes we don't have parents that act like parents. Sometimes we don't have a spouse that acts like a spouse. Sometimes we don't have children that act the way that they should. Sometimes we get taken advantage of in our workplace, in our schools. And so I'm not minimizing any of those difficulties, okay? I'm not, I'm not, trying, to, I'm not trying to not recognize that life is difficult. But rather, I want to focus on the internal realities of an individual in spite of those circumstances. Is that fair? So, so this might come across a little bit harsh, but I don't mean it to be. Let's focus inwardly. What, what is someone who claims the victim, what are they saying? Well, first of all, when they lash out, when they do something that is hurtful or harmful to themselves or to someone else, they can always say, well, someone else made me do it. You don't understand how bad my dad was to me. You don't understand how bad my mom was to me. My dad was never there, therefore I'm doing this. Well, you don't understand how it's like to live in this home under, under, under these circumstances. And so that's why I give myself to that substance or that's why I give myself to that kind of pattern of behavior. Right? You don't understand what the kids do to me at school. You don't understand what happens to me at work and how they treat me at work. Therefore, that's the way I act the way that I do. Someone else made me do it. Therefore, it's not my fault. This is a critical part of the victim status. It's not my fault. I'm just, the, I'm just responding to the pressures around me. I have no other option than to do this because of what's going on in my life. It's not my fault. It's their fault that I'm the way that I am. Also, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> All right, so... As if outside pressures rob free will. (laughs) 
I lost my free will because of all these circumstances that are against me. And I, I, for some reason, I became robotic, and it just was an impulse thing, and I had no control over it whatsoever, right? This is, these are the claims of the victim. Someone else made me do it. It's not my fault. And I had no other option. It's just, it's just I couldn't help myself. Now, <clears throat> this, is, this is actually, actually very appealing at some level. There are some very appealing points to the victim. What's appealing about the victim status? What, what, why, why are we drawn to this kind of mentality? A couple of reasons. Number one, if someone else made me do it, then I don't have to take responsibility for my actions. Well, it was their fault. And so, and, so, and so I don't have to take responsibility for what I just did or what I just said or what I just gave myself over to. Secondly, I don't have to ask for forgiveness. I love, and I do this, okay, I do this. I acted out because of the circumstances, and it wasn't my fault. They made me do it, ready? Therefore, they need to ask forgiveness from me. The person that's really wrong is not me for saying that, doing that, acting out in that way. The, pers- the problem is you, and until you apologize, this isn't going to be fixed. The victim. Third, it gives me justification for my actions. <laughs> okay, I have lived here. Spouse doesn't treat you right? Okay, I'll find something else, some other way. My church doesn't applaud me enough for being a great preacher? It's fine. Now, I can't use that illustration if you do that. Thank you. It gives me justification for acting out. Now I'm justified because these are the realities that surround me. And now I don't have to own it. I don't have to ask for forgiveness for it. And I have a very good reason why I'm doing it. Some people live in this state. You have family members or friends. You have coworkers or neighbors or classmates. And this is the way they do life. The truth is there may be some people in the room right now. This is the pattern of your life right now. You've bought into this lie that says it's all about circumstances and I don't have to res- take responsibility at all. Now, if you were to sit down and talk with someone, if you were to look at yourself in the mirror when you embrace this victim ment- mentality, or if you were to sit down and talk with someone, who's going through this, at some point you have to get to a place where you say, well, how is this going to change? Like this brokenness, this dysfunction, this me lashing out or you lashing out, this has, there's something that has to change. And if you were to ask someone with a victim mentality how change actually occurs, how a victim believes things will change, here's what they will tell you. Number one, if they stop treating me so poorly, then I'll stop doing what I'm doing. If my dad will start, then I will start. If my mom will quit, then I will quit. If my spouse will stop or do, then I will stop or do myself. Right? Secondly, if my circumstances change. Well, I know, here's the deal. I know the problem. I, I'm just, I just, I just, unfortunately, you know, I just, uh, I got stuck in this home that I'm in. And I, I don't, I, if I just had a different home or a different spouse or a different dad or a different mom or different kids, then things would be different. Or if I had just that different job, then things would all be different. Now, I'm not minimizing that there are some very, 
very uh, detrimental circumstances to be in. And that, quite honestly, sometimes a shift in location might be healthy and, and, and might be a part of the healing. But that's not the root of the problem. This is my favorite. Well, if God will take it from me, <laughs> this, is my, this is my favorite. It's God's fault. Well, that justifies a whole lot, doesn't it? I mean, if God is at, is at blame, then it allows you to do just about anything you want to do now, right? God, until you change things for me, then I'm not changing here. You have to fix this for me. Do you see the emphasis on everyone else except myself? How's that work out? How does that work out for someone? You know this as well as I do. So long as this is the mentality, they will stay in a state of perpetual brokenness forever. They will live in this constant state of, so long as everything else stays unchanged, I'm not changing as well. This doesn't work. This is broken. And by the way, do you know that Scripture actually moves on from Genesis 3 to give us a wholly different picture of how to live beyond the circumstances and the brokenness that we may find ourselves in or the hurt that may come our way. Uh, how change really happens is different than what the victim believes. Now, for a moment, I, I want to share with you a story by way of video. I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I find myself tempted to play the victim, I can create such dire circumstances about my own world that no one else could possibly relate to what I'm going through. You ever been there before? Like I can come up with how bad life really is for me when I want to play the pity party. Again, not minimizing that difficult times come. Came across a story, you may have heard it it's been online here recently. It's from Bishop Ron Archer. Incredible, incredible story of someone that had every right to live in this mentality. I want you to listen to the story of Ron because what he says about transformation is so critical in understanding how change really happens. Watch this. And at age 16, she got pregnant. We call it having a trick baby. Two strangers meet for a business transaction, and there's a mistake. The pimp said, you can't make any money having a baby in the oven. We have got to kill this baby. They kicked her in the stomach. They fed her alcohol. They gave her drugs. They took a hanger and stabbed the baby over and over again. But the baby would not die. The baby was born two months premature with no pancreas, a learning disability, a bladder too small, unable to function, a severe stutterer. We call it a trick baby. Nobody wants the baby. No hope, no future. Kill it was the word. That baby was me. I'm the lowest of the low. I come from the guttermost. I come from a hellish condition. And so when I would go to school, I couldn't talk. I stuttered so severely from the trauma. And by age 10, I had had enough. I wanted to die. 
And in my school, they put me in a boiler room with other kids who were dysfunctional like me, where we would finger paint all day long. And yet there was a teacher, thank God for her, who had a Gideon Bible. And she came to my school and she saw kids like me as her mission field. And she would give me this Gideon Bible and read to me stories of dysfunctional characters who God used. She would say to me, Ronaldo, God uses greatly those who have been wounded very deeply. He will turn your pain into power, your wounds into wisdom. She had me read the story of Moses, who was also a stutterer. I began to understand that God did love a trick baby, even as low as I was. There was hope for me and possibility. And when a child begins to understand the love of God and the power of his word and the possibilities, it changes everything. How can a young man keep his way clean? by taking heed according to your word. Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I began to memorize the Bible, that Gideon Bible, reading 2,000 scriptures. And when you put that kind of word in a life, something begins to happen. My stuttering went away. I stopped wetting the bed. I stood tall. I became valedictorian, became a pastor and priest until everybody in my family got saved. Why? Because somebody placed the Gideon Bible in a woman's hand that changed a life forever. Yes! I was born a trick baby, but the trick was on the devil because of you and the power of the word of God. That's good, church. That is exactly, that is exactly what scripture does for an individual. When they begin to see themselves in light of how God sees them, it changes everything for them. And this individual, this bishop, this story is so incredible. He had every reason to play the victim card. He had ever, every reason to believe the victim mentality status was his status. But he got into God's word and it radically changed his view of himself and his view of God. And that's what God's word does for people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we see Paul writing these words. If anyone else had a reason to, be, to feel like the victim, it was certainly the apostle Paul. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 4 as he writes to the church. We are hard pressed on every side. But notice what he says after that, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. Do you see the Apostle Paul's heart? He recognizes that no matter what his circumstances look like, that he has an advocate with the Father. He has an advocate with the Son. He has seen in Jesus one who has given his life fully and has died on a cross and rose from the dead. Paul is not in despair, but he's living in light of his identity in Christ so that his circumstances does not dictate his mentality or his emotions or his actions. He goes on to say in the text, in verse, in verse number 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Do you see what he says? Every single poor circumstance in the world just gives me another opportunity to reveal Jesus to them. 
In verse number 11, he says this, I love it. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Paul was not consumed with, with, with finding out every reason why things were going wrong around him. Paul recognized every single one of those moments was another opportunity to reflect the glory and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life. What a powerful picture. He is not the victim, he is the victor. Now I love what Paul says in conclusion in Romans chapter 8, maybe my favorite passage of scripture in all of the Bible. It is the, it is the glorious picture of one who is in Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or bad parenting or a difficult marriage or difficult circumstances at my work or physical challenges? What shall separate me from the love of Christ? He goes on to say in verse number 36, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37 though No, in all these things, come on church, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul was so consumed with reality that Jesus resurrected, or Jesus' resurrection changed everything for him and it changes everything for us as well today. And I love what he says in conclusion in verse 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers... Neither, verse number 39, height nor depth nor anything else in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. (laughs) Sounds a far cry from Genesis chapter 3, doesn't it? And when that gets into the heart of an individual and they begin to see themselves through that lens and that filter, it changes everything. Now, this is what we are going to take to the world. As this church, thank you, as this church becomes missional, as this church begins to embrace this next level of ministry that's available for us, we are going out into the world, into communities, into zip codes, into neighborhoods and homes where the mentality is, woe is me, my circumstances simply dictate how I act. And we're taking this story that Jesus paid the price so that you do not have to be the sum total of your circumstances. And Jesus rose from the dead so that you can also not be the victim but the victor we are going out in the community and we are going to love people where they are and we're going to share with them this story i want you to hear this this is going to be the most difficult ministry we ever we ever seek to accomplish and there is a very real enemy that sets himself up against us we are going into the enemy's territory this is friendly turf in the room my friend we're going out into the world of the enemy's territory but we have the assurance of Jesus that the gates of hell will not prevail against us we are going out into the world and we are going to raise up a community that begins to embrace the reality that we're not the armpit but we are those who are in Christ who are more than conquerors And I want you to come with me. Will you come with me? Now, here's the truth. Um, Over the next few weeks, you're going to see stories and pictures and graphs. I'm going to give you statistics. You're going to know in a very real way what we are up against. 
But at the core of my being as your pastor, I am convinced it is what God is calling us to do. So the next series, we're going to focus on what that looks like. Before we end today, I think it's possible in this room right now that there may be a husband or a wife, there may be an individual in the room, a young man, a young woman. You're here this morning, and as I listed out what the victim status looks like, it very well could have described what you think and what you're going through right now. Wouldn't it be great, though, if today you let that false reality of who you are and who God is go, and you begin to embrace a new reality that you have a God who stands on your behalf, and he fights your battles for you, and he works everything out for your good when you are called according to his purpose. Wouldn't it be great today if you let go of that status and all the damage that it's doing in your marriage or in your home or at your work or at your school, you let that go and you start to begin to live in a different pattern, a different mentality and thinking. I want to give you a chance to respond today to that. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.